Wouldn't that be an awesome thing to know? Like how you appeared in other people's phones? That actually is a terrible thing to know. Like I would be better off not knowing that. I asked my wife, Yvette, if I could share my contact card in her phone. She refused. So I hacked her phone this week and I made my own card. So like when I call her, this is what's gonna pop up. Chip, hunk of burning love. Yeah, showed her, man. Uh, so by the way, if you don't know, my name is Chip, and I'm the Creative Arts Director here at Velocity. And uh, if you're nasty, you can call me Hunk of Burning Love, if you're nasty. Um, but I'm really honored to speak to you today, especially on this Mother's Day, so thanks for being here. Um, we're in the series, as Rob mentioned, called The Grass is Greener, Fighting the Secret of Contentment. And I think this is one of the most important series we've ever done, and I think it's just so timely because... This is just my opinion. I don't really have any hard data or facts to, to back this up, but I believe that unhappiness is at an all-time high. And there's probably some reasons for that, but um, I think if, you know, if we were really honest with ourselves, um, this is part of the, the human condition. It's one of the promises that Jesus gave us is that in this world, you're going to have problems and trouble and tribulation. You're not always going to be happy. And I think that if we were really honest with ourselves, maybe we would say, yeah, that description fits me. Uh, I'm unhappy, discontent, miserable most of the time because of these issues, because of these problems, because of these, these feelings that I have. And, um, and that's why I think this series is so, so important. And um, in, in a sense, it, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because we, in this culture, have pretty much every creature comfort uh, available to us. And I want to give you some really great news on this Mother's Day, okay? Um, you, all of us, we are in the top 4% of the world's wealth. How come no one's like standing up and cheering? Like, didn't you wake up this morning and go, I'm so filthy rich. I'm in the top 4%. Like 96% of the world has it harder than I do. Uh, but we don't do that, right? We just always compare ourselves, think the grass is always greener. If we could just be in the top 3%, that's when I would be happy, or the top 2%, or the top 1%, or the top half percent. And uh, I think you know where I'm going with this, is that we are just in a culture of discontent and unhappiness. You know, and, and the pursuit of happiness is something that I think we all want, right? You know, it's declared in the Constitution, or is the Bill of Rights, or, gosh, it's been a while since I... It was an eighth grade history class. But you know what I'm talking about, that pursuit of happiness. It's like a right that we have as, as humans. And we all want that for ourselves. If you have kids, you definitely want that for them, right? You've probably even said that. Hey, I don't care what they do in life as long as they're happy. Uh, the thing about happiness is, okay, you're going to get a little word lesson here today. Um, happiness is derived from an old English word, hail, H-A-L-E. Okay, this is how a lot of people pronounce uh, the place where the devil lives in Virginia. But that's not what it is, okay? Hail is an old English word, and it kind of means uh, if everything is happening, okay? It really actually literally means like if you're old, um, in your old age, and everything's healthy and working, you're in like robust health. So you've you got some hail going on. It really means like, you know, if everything is happening in life, I'll be happy. Uh, the problem is what happens when everything stops happening, Right? What if the circumstances in your life aren't happening to make you happy? You know, I think this is why Mother's Day is, is complicated for a lot of us. You know, for a lot of us, it's just like the best day on the calendar. It's so much fun. I think there's 
maybe some other conflicted feelings that maybe we didn't feel that great about our, our own mother. Or maybe you're a mother and you have a, a son or a daughter who hasn't talked to you in years. Uh, so that's a circumstance that's not really happening for you. Uh, what happens when um, you lose your job? You become unemployed. Not happening. What if you uh, go in for a CAT scan and you get a mysterious spot on the results? You know, the circumstances in your life are not, not happening anymore. What if you find out your spouse has been unfaithful? Whatever it is for you, uh, just fill in the blank. And it might be something that you've dealt with in life before or maybe something you are currently dealing with. That's something that unites us as the human race. We all have problems. We all have issues. We all have things that are really, really tough. And it's what Jesus promised us. And sometimes it's hard to stand on that promise of God that you're going to have tribulation and pressure and hardship in life. So aren't you glad you came to church today? So glad to be reminded of that, right? But what? And here's the question. What if there was a way to, like, live beyond our circumstances? What if there was a way to, if everything is not happening in life, I can still find ways to be happy. I can still find ways to be ways to be joyful and fulfilled and satisfied. And I think that um, one of the secrets to finding that contentment is found in kind of what Rob was talking about. It's just like our identity, who we are. And I'll say it's probably based more on a, a proper and a correct self-image. I didn't say a positive self-image, keep that in mind. It's a correct and a proper self-image. Um, I've got some labels here. I made some labels with some, some name tags. And so I'm gonna reveal what this is. And if this is you, would you be so bold as to stand up? Okay, the first one is mom. All right, mom, would you stand up? If you're a mom, would you stand up right now? We only gave you, yes. We only gave you one round of applause. I think moms deserve two, so give it up for moms. All right, I'm gonna try to, you can sit down, moms. I'm a, I have a mom name tag, and so you can uh, wear this label. I'm gonna try to whip this out. You can actually wear this upside down, it says, wow. So. Give that to a mom right there. That went a lot farther than the first service. I'm getting my technique down. Okay, here's one. Uh, would you stand up if you are a AARP card-carrying member? Yes. Yes. <laughs> all right, it's coming for you guys, all right? Oh, AARP, you're gonna have to come up and, and get that one later, okay? Um, Redskins fan. Yes, stand with pride. Okay, here's some Redskins fans. Yeah. That's just like the season, that's just like your quarterback. About as, yeah. Anyone here have some Irish blood in them? Irish, any Irish? There's another one, okay, I'm gonna really try to get that. Boy, doing bad, sorry about that. All right, Irish, sit down. I'm gonna do these two uh, together. Um, if you are a Republican or a Democrat, stand up. I had, whoa, I had no, I had no idea there were so many libertarians in the audience, so uh, just find one of those. Okay, you can have a seat. Um, here's one, geek. Geek, oh yes. You can't stand on every one, by the way, you know? All right, geeks. By the way, that was like the worst thing to be called when I was in high school, it was like a geek, but now it's like something really cool because it means you're smart and you're techie and all that kind of stuff. Uh, last one, this one's just for me. Uh, this was a label given to me when I was three years old and I still recall it to this day. When I was three years old, I had one of the worst underbites ever. I don't really have pictures of that. This is, I think, what the orthodontist told my parents to maybe, you know, 
get a little bit of money out of them. But when I was three years old, I had this just horrible underbite. So I had to have like this headgear that I think was like this big. Because I still have pictures of me holding my little baby brother with my big old headgear and all these like rods and pieces of metal in my mouth to correct my just horrible underbite. And I got three sets of braces, not when I was three years old, but um, my first set of braces, I think I was like 10 years old. And I don't know how they do this today, but the technology wasn't so great when I was a kid. And so to make molds of your mouth, they would strap you in this chair and they would put like a big wad of this gray, cold, slimy gook in there. They still do that? Why can't we come up with a better system? I mean, this is terrible. So I'm 10 years old, and they shoved this thing in my mouth, and, um, and I just like, they maybe went too far down my, my throat, and I was just like hacking up all sorts of stuff. So they're like, you know, get the bucket. So they're running, you know, and getting buckets, and like, there's like three like, you know, dental assistants who were all like trying to rescue me and still keep the molds in and catch all of my vomit. I guess it was a bad situation. The next visit to the orthodontist, I looked at my chart. And by the way, I had the longest chart you know, from all my visits since I was three years old. So a lot of time and a lot of money went into this orthodontist practice. And at the top of my chart, in bold letters, in handwritten ink, with red ink, all capitals, Exclamation point in quotes was this word. <laughs> gagger. Here comes Chip the gagger. You know? And so every time for the next like how many years I was at the dentist or the orthodontist, every time I came in, I had to look at this chart and then I had to give it to somebody and they're like, gagger, you know? And so no one wanted to take like my molds anymore. So that was a label that was like put on me. So there I am. Gagger. Thanks a lot for that. Let me ask you something. Who has the right to label something? Who has the right to label something? I think there's, there's three qualifications that give someone or something a right to label something. The first is the manufacturer. Okay, so if you are a manufacturer of goods and services, you get to label that thing. Uh, by the way, look over to my left, that guitar over there in the far left corner. It's like a 1954 Fender Strat. Isn't it beautiful? Looks like an old beat-up coffee table or something like that. When I play that, I'm like, yeah, look at that, you know? But there's a label on the top of the, of the headstock there, and it just says Fender. So, like, Fender made that in Corona, California, and they have the right to slap their label on so I can geek out on that kind of stuff. So they have the right. I don't begrudge them for putting whatever label they want on there, but they chose to put their name on that. So they're the manufacturer. Uh, the other qualification is the owner. If you own something, you have the right to, to label that. This is exactly what Andy did in Toy Story, right? Wrote on his name on the bottom of, of Woody and, and uh, Buzz. And so if you own something, you have the right to, to label that. Now, I could do this. I would have the wherewithal and the power to do this. But let's say I went over to your house and uh, your dog's name is, shout your dog's name out to me. What, scalp? Is that what you said? Scout. Scout. I thought you said scalp. I'm like, that's the worst name for a dog ever. <laughs> All right, so I go over to you know, uh, your house, and I find Scout, and I'm like, I don't really like Scout as a name. I think Scalp would be a better name. So I just like, bring out like, a name tag, and I, put it, you know, I throw the Scout away, and I'm like, we're going to call this dog Scalp. You would say, no, you're not the owner. You have no right, even though you brought in a Scalp. Um, name tag or a little uh, collar. It's like, no, you don't have the right to do that. So you own Scalp, and you can name Scalp whatever you want. 
I think the third qualification is the purchaser. If you are a purchaser of something, you can label that, or you can unlabel that if you want to. Um, I was making some coconut milk ice cream in my new ice cream maker this week, and it's a Cuisinart. I captured a video of it. It's very exciting. And um, I noticed that the, after one use, the Cuisinart was kind of coming off, and it looked pretty bad. So I started, like, just I rubbed the whole thing off. Like, I want it to be something else. So I haven't decided what label I'm going to put on there, but it ain't no Cuisinart anymore. But who cares, right? I purchased it at a thrift store for $4. That's right. So I have an investment in that. I purchased it so I can name it whatever I want. But I don't have the right to do that to your appliances, do I? I can't come over to your house and like, oh, that's a nice Keurig, but let's just scratch that off and put Mr. Coffee on there. You know, I don't have the right to do that. So those are the qualifications on who has the right to label something. Now I want us to consider this question. Uh, this goes a little bit deeper. Who has the right to label you? Who has the right to label you? I want to offer a, a couple suggestions. The manufacturer, the one who made you. The one who made you has the right to label you. Psalm 139, 13 to 14 says, For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I love this passage of scripture. It's that God chose a mom somewhere. And uh, your mom, you had a, a big part in this, but, but God was at work in your, womb, in your womb. And you are a product of being fearfully and wonderfully crafted in that womb by God. You're, you're trillions of cells. God was at work in every single one of them. He knows you better than any doctor or yourself. God made you. And that's really, really awesome to know that he made you. So he has some qualifications to be able to, to label us. He's our manufacturer. Uh, the one who owns you is another qualification. The one who owns you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 says this. Do, not, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. And Paul says, do you not know? Do you not know this? So let me remind you that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you. This is an awesome and radical concept that the God of the universe, when we have accepted him and received him, he has come to take up residence through the Holy Spirit inside of us. And because of that, he owns us. He owns us. And again, the third qualification is the one who purchased you. That same passage goes on to say, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. So Christ purchased us, and he owns us. More about the purchasing later. Uh, go to the next slide, Mike. Uh, who fits uh, this description? Who has the right to label you? Who fits that description? Maybe a better question is who does not fit that description? Does your family uh, have the right to label you? How about your friends? How about your Facebook friends? <laughs> your Instagram followers? Do they have the right to, to label you and give you an identity? Um, are you a student? Uh, is, your, is your teacher, do they have the right to, to label you? Um, if you're on a sports team, does your, does your coach? Um, when you go to work tomorrow, does your, does your boss have the right 
to label you. What about this? Do you? Do you have the right to label you? You know, there's some labels that um, we've, we've given ourselves. I say this, this is really embarrassing, but you do it too. There are so many times where I'll say out loud during the week, Chip, you idiot. Sometimes I put an expletive in front of idiot to make it sound more powerful. But have you ever done that? You know, call yourself an idiot out loud? If you said that to me, there would be like some problems, right? You know, if you came up to me, Chip, you're such an idiot. I might like pound you in the face, right? But why do we talk ourselves, like, why do we say that out loud? You know, some of these labels that others have put on us, but sometimes, I think more often than that, we put these labels on ourselves. Uh, do we have the right to do that? You know, when you think about these labels that some gave you and, and maybe some that you've put on yourself, I just brainstormed a, a bunch of them. This is not an exhaustive list, and I just want to read a couple of them to you. And I want to say this. I'm going to place no moral value on these labels. You might or you might have some some feelings of, of right or wrong with this. It's really no moral values, just, just labels that we put on ourselves. So here's a couple of them. Alcoholic, loser, stupid, lazy, ugly, fat, dumb, hopeless, average, non-athletic, flat, Useless, freak, handicapped, ADD, ADHD, OCD, LGBTQ, MA, PhD. That was like five different ones. I didn't mean to kind of string those all together. Unlucky, short, weird, failure, broke, addict, angry, you think that might be like an emotion, like angry, but I hear this all the time. I am so, such an angry person. You know, like we've identified like an emotion to label who we are. Perfectionist, workaholic, unpopular, people pleaser, slow, unwanted, unloved, worthless, hot, not hot. Have you heard of some of these uh, websites that, you know, are kind of around the idea of like hot? not hot. I don't know if you know this, but this is exactly how Facebook started. Mark Zuckerberg created this site uh, called uh, FaceMash back in the early 2000s, and so you would just kind of rate you know, women on the Harvard campus as hot or not hot. So at a very you know, early inception of Facebook's creation, they were putting labels on people. It's hard to believe what, what Facebook is, is morphed into, but man, there's a lot of that label, um, label assigning with social media these days. And when you allow others to label you, think about this for a second, when you allow someone else to put a label on you or yourself to put a label on you that doesn't meet those qualifications, you're saying, you're the boss of me. You have control over my life if you allow someone else to put a label on you or yourself to put a label on you that God did not put on you. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna spend one more minute of my life putting a label on myself that God never attended. And you should want the same. You don't need to spend one moment of your life putting a label on yourself, whether that's from yourself or from others that God did not intend you to have. So when I think about, you know, if God had a, a smartphone, 
Now, what would his contact card of me look like? And this is how I often think about it. It looks like this. Chip, sinner, disappointment, hopeless, and definitely a note on there, like when that rings, do not answer, right? Because, right, this guy's such a disappointment. You know, I know God loves me, but a lot of times I'm just like, man, you know, I'm struggling with the same stuff that I have for decades, and you know, just going to God and asking for more, like, mercy and grace, and I'm like, oh, trying to change things and not able to do it, and it's almost just like God just kind of sitting there, like, yeah, I love you, but I got to, right, you know, yeah, I said in, you know, John 3.16, you know, God so loved the world, so I better, better love him, just kind of how it is, like he's, like, trapped in it, but he, I definitely, he's not enthusiastic about when I call, right, like, don't answer this guy, you know, he's asking the same things over and over, it's just better to kind of ignore you know, and, and this is sometimes, I think, how we all think that God views us. And that's totally fine if that's what Scripture teaches us. If we look in the Bible and this is how God refers to us, I'm totally cool with that. Uh, but I want to suggest a couple of other, other things. Uh, what, are, what are God's labels for me? What are God's labels for you? Uh, the first, and I think this is the most important one, um, that we are, I am his child. I am his child. John 1, 11 to 13 says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. There's some promises there. If you have received him, if you have believed in in his name, you have the right to become a child of God. This is a right that God has bestowed on us because we have received him. We've believed in his name. There's nothing in there about our behavior. There's nothing about being a good little, you know, Christian Jesus Jr. in there. It says nothing about that. It says to those who've received him, he gave that right to become a child of God. You know, and I think that's really important because sometimes we try to improve upon that. You know, yeah, I'm his child, but, you know, I'm like, label myself, I'm a Catholic or a Protestant or a Presbyterian or a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Plymouth Brethren or all that kind of stuff. Why would we ever put a label on ourselves like that? You can't really improve upon God's child. And I think about this in terms of my own kids. And I really want to be kind of careful with this analogy because I don't want to dumb down God's love for how I love my kids. But as far as, like, a human being goes, I think I love my kids about as unconditionally and accept them about as unconditionally as a human can. And even on my best days, I'm, I'm not 100% great at this. But having said that, my kids are always going to be my children. It does not matter what they do in life or what they don't do in life. They are always going to be my kids. And their status with me in my family as their father and, um, and as them being my daughter and my sons, there's, there's nothing that changes that. That has nothing to do with their behavior or how good or bad they are. They're my kids, and they always will be. And I think that God, when we are adopted into his family, when we are called his child, that has nothing to do. There's nothing that will ever separate us from that, from God's love. I think the other thing that, that makes us um, who we are in Christ, you know, God's labels for me, is that we are his, his friend. He calls us his friend. John 15, 12 to 14 says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. 
I read this passage when I was 18 years old, and I always kind of pictured God as kind of, yeah, he's the, the cosmic being, he's up there somewhere. But when I read that, that changed my whole life because here was this God who was out there, but he was communicating to me, I want to be your friend. I want to have an intimate bond with you and a relationship with you. And that just felt, I just, it blew me away. I couldn't believe it. That was life-changing for me. Uh, you're Jesus' friends if you do what he commands. But don't think of that as like the list of like 10 things to do. It, Jesus told us right there. It's like, my command is this, to love each other as I have loved you. And another passage in John says, the command of sent. I'm not sure if my battery's running out or not. To believe in the one he has sent, that is the command of God. That is the command of Jesus. Believe in him, that's his command, and we will be his friend. And then lastly, we are forgiven. 1 John 2.12 says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. This is an awesome one. We have forgiveness. If you have received Christ Jesus as your Lord, you possess Forgiveness. It's something that's part of your inheritance as a child of God, and part of your inheritance and in being adopted into his family, part of your inheritance of being a friend with Christ is that you have, you possess forgiveness. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And to know that you possess that as a forgiven saint of God, that changes our relationship with God. You know? That, that changes, does, does Christ, when I get to heaven, is he going to introduce me as, this is Chip, the sinner, <laughs> right? Or is he going to introduce me as, you know, this is my, my chosen one who is, has been forgiven. And so I think if, you know, God really had a, a smartphone, um, this is kind of the contact, what it would probably would look like. My child, my friend, forgiven. Answer whenever he calls, by the way. Is God ever disgusted by me, by my behavior and my sin? Um, I think he would be if, if Christ didn't pay for that. That I stand in the perfect righteousness of God, not by anything that I do or don't do, but because of 100%, because of what Jesus did for me on my behalf. So I have a right standing before God. I have a justification before God, and so do you if you've received him in that way. And so I just have uh, two quick takeaways for us as we kind of think about these things. The first is that tomorrow I'm going to post on our Facebook group, so if you're not a part of our Facebook group, you really need to get on there for, if nothing else, to, uh, to get a uh, list that I'm going to put tomorrow, and it's just like the believer's identity in Christ, because there's like about 70 or so of these uh, passages that you can read through scripture, and you can say, this is how God views me. Um, this is so important because I think our minds are trained, and I believe this is one of Satan's big tactics, tactics is to tell us uh, who we're not in Christ. And so we can look through Scripture, and we can say, this is who God views me. And it changes because the implications of that just make all the difference in the way that we view God and we, the way that we believe that he views us. Now, I can go by feelings. I can go, well, I feel like a sinner. I don't feel loved or I feel unworthy or all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to go with what God says instead. And you should too. I'm going with what God says, that he called me his friend. He calls me his child. He calls me forgiven. I'm going with that. Not only does it sound good, it's true. And so, yeah, get on our Facebook group tomorrow and check out the more than three that I presented here today. There's, there's a bunch of them, and I think it will radically transform your life with God. 
Um, the second takeaway is that Rob's going to come up in a, in a few minutes and give you a, a tangible action. Uh, maybe you're listening to this and you're like, this is all great, but I've never received him. I've never invited Jesus Christ to take residence in, in my life and to, to give my life over to him. And so Rob's going to give us a, a step, uh, if that's you, that I think will, um, could be the um, defining moment of your entire life. So listen for that later on. Uh, I kind of mentioned this before, is that Christ bought us. He purchased us. He purchased us with um, a hefty price tag. Uh, and we say this all the time, that you know, Christ paid for our sins. So what does that mean? Well, think about this. In the last, let's just say, 48 hours, you've probably purchased some things. Maybe you made a, a last-minute trip this morning to the guy selling flowers on the corner. <laughs> uh, maybe you got a Hallmark card yesterday. Uh, maybe you you know, forked over 10 bucks for the, you know, super vente mocha frappuccino at Starbucks. Whatever it is, you, when you pay for something, when you buy something, you get something back. You know you're going to get an economy lesson today, right? This is how the world works. When you pay for something, you receive something back. This is how economy works, right? When Jesus paid for you and for me, when he paid the debt that we could never pay back, when he gave his life for us and paid that, um, he gets something back in return. He gets, ready for this? He gets us. It's getting the short end of the stick if you think about it. But, uh, but he gets us. That's what he paid for. He paid the price so that you could have, he could have you and he could have me in a intimate relationship forever. And that's just so powerful when you understand that Christ paid that debt on account of us. And this is made evident by Jesus' last words uh, on the cross. Right before he died, he screamed out this, this Greek word. And we're going to say it together, uh, so this is a little Greek lesson as well, too. It's uh, tetelestai. Tetelestai. Everyone say that. One, two, three. Tetelestai. Isn't that fun to say? Let's say it one more time. One, two, three. Tetelestai. That doesn't really mean anything to us unless we're Greek scholars, and I'm certainly not. But um, the... The English translation of that that we've read in our Bibles a lot of times is like, it is finished. Uh, in a sense that it was true, that, you know, that there was a, a finished work that Christ did on the cross. But a more accurate translation of that word, tetelestai, is paid in full. This is what Jesus procla proclaimed at, at the cross, his last words on, on behalf of you and me, that he is paid in full. He has paid the debt in full. There's nothing left for us to pay. And because of that sacrifice, because of that payment, uh, he's inviting you and me into a, a relationship with him, in a, um, in a friendship relationship with him, in an adopted child-father relationship with him that will never be broken. Why? Because we're such good people? I don't think so. No, everything because of what Christ has done for us. And that's, you know, something we celebrate every single week at Velocity. So we're going to have some people pass um, a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice. And as we take communion, this is a symbol uh, of what I've been talking about, is that, that Christ paid for all of our sins at the cross through his shed blood. And he rose again from the dead. So that same life that rose him from the dead can come and restore us and raise us from our condition of spiritual death. And so that's something to be celebrated, that, that uh, we're his, his child, his friend, and that we are forgiven, something we possess as, as his child. 
And so as that happens, uh, we're also going to sing a song, and I really want you to, to sing the song, but also pay attention to the, to the lyrics, because it, it talks about uh, these, these loving characteristics of God, but not just that, but our relationship to that God and what that makes us as well. So our identity is defined by not us and how we live and how we behave, but everything about what God has done for us. <laughs> 